From 11FS, I'm Sam Mall, and this is Connection Interrupted. Connection Interrupted is a weekly show focusing on individuals across all walks of life whose plans and journeys were interrupted, disconnected, or rerouted. These are their stories told in their words of the obstacles they faced, the challenges they overcame, and the role technology played both as an instigator and as an instrument for positive growth and change in their lives. When you think of home, what springs to mind? I'm assuming most of us picture the house we grew up in, our our neighborhood, our hometown. Believe it or not, but that question, where do you call home, that's a tough one for me. I grew up in Detroit, but I left right after high school. And I've been a bit of a nomad ever since. I've lived all over the East Coast of the U.S., mainly in the South. I lived a few years in the U.K. before I finally settled in Florida for the past six years. Somehow, though, I've never lost my connection to Detroit. I still follow all the sports teams from my hometown. I still have family that lives in and around the city. I've I've come to accept the fact that Detroit will always be part of me. Detroit is definitely a huge part of Aaron Foley. Aaron's the chief storyteller for Detroit. He works as part of Mayor Dugan's office. He is, to my knowledge, the only official storyteller of a major city in the U.S., and I love that. I love that Detroit was the first to do this. I love that Detroit picked not only someone who really wants to learn more about their hometown, as Aaron does, but also that Detroit picked a natural smartass like Aaron, who, yes, reminds me a little bit of me. This episode is an homage to my hometown. Please give it a listen. You might be surprised what you learn about the Motor City. Not only is this episode Aaron's story, this is Detroit's story. Do you have a love for Detroit? I don't know that love's the right word. How would you describe it? Well, I mean, love it. Love is Detroit, right? Um, Detroit may mean to the person who I am. I couldn't imagine growing up anywhere else, you know? I know people, like going to Michigan State, for example, the one thing you heard from a lot of people is, I can't wait to get out of my hometown. You know, I can't wait to get out of Sterling Heights. I can't wait to get out of here. I'm going to move to Chicago. I'm going to move here. And my mind, in my mind, I was like, but I love Detroit. You know, like I, yeah, I could move to Chicago too, but I could also move back to Detroit. And that's kind of the good thing about growing up in a city is that, it's it's big enough for you to find out new things, and it's also I feel comfortable here. Um, so when I have that that um, that comfort and familiarity, it's it's kind of like you know I, I trust it, you know. Um, and with 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 love comes trust, I think. Yeah, I, I like how you put that. I I trust it. That's a that's a nice little tagline. You can tell you write stories, man. That's that's pretty good. The interesting thing about the storytelling that you do is it seems like you do the storytelling in neighborhoods, which is pretty unique, right? Because where did you grow up again? What neighborhood? I grew up in Russell Woods, which is on the west side. It started off as a very Jewish neighborhood. And then after White Flight and all of that, um, it became a very black neighborhood. It was one of the few places where, as Detroit started to integrate more, Jewish residents started selling their... Um, um, properties directly to black residents. When the Motown stars started becoming more and more famous, they moved from North End, which was a very, very predominantly black, um, very working class, impoverished neighborhood. They moved into Russell Woods. And then so you started seeing this sort of black middle class 
migration to Russell Woods, like doctors lived there, lawyers lived there, so on and so forth. And that's carried on through the years. And I grew up there and it, 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 it's, I don't know, it, it was cool living there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think about like the house I grew up in, like when it was originally built, it had a lot of the same things there when I was growing up. So like a climate controlled closet in the master bedroom like who (laughs) like we we weren't rich but (laughs) but but obviously the people who lived here at one point had had it like that so um um a lot of the houses have things like that so that's part of what makes Detroit unique you had all these artisans and architects creating like putting their their work into the homes and all the details and stuff that's that's what i really love about Detroit you can't find that in a suburban subdivision yeah as somebody who lives in Jacksonville Florida okay where the neighborhood's maybe 10 years old and literally every fourth house looks exactly like that. You don't see that, you know, when, when you drive around parts of Detroit, right? Major neighborhoods of Detroit. Every home is unique. The majority of the city is built before 1940. Um, and then there's only been a hand, literal, a literal handful of new subdivisions. I can probably count on one hand. Uh, some around here downtown. One over Victoria Park on the east side. A couple on Oscar Road. That's it, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So I'm, I'm, th- I'm really thinking people had a predisposition before listening to this podcast because we are, we are, we are. I can see downtown, right? Just down the street, right? We're in the heart of it. You might notice there's a lot of people talking around us. We are in a little coffee shop now. To Aaron, to your credit, you've never been in this place before, but this we could be in Manhattan right now, right? I'm gonna say this in a nice way. We're in the yuppiest looking. <laughs> Come on, dude. Yeah, but but still, right? We and I couldn't find a parking spot. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, literally, I had to drive around the block like four times to find a parking spot. And we've seen the queue line go by a couple yeah, of times. Nonstop, yeah, nonstop. Right. So I, you know, I could be in Brooklyn right now, and, and you know, I could be in Manhattan. I could be anywhere. So here's one of the things I find interesting. I'm gonna keep coming back to you being the storyteller. Who do you tell stories to? I guess that's a good question. Is it to Detroit residents? Is it to people outside Detroit? Who's the target? Everybody. I mean, anybody who wants to learn more about Detroit. I mean, it, it definitely being that we're a city of Detroit website, it is geared towards the residents. But um, it's to me, it's it's a way for people to, like I said, Detroit is so big. And if you grew up on the east side, you know everything about the east side. Same with the west side, same with southwest. Um, and people, but, but, but isolated, right? Because I grew up down river. I didn't know jack about Royal. I didn't know this side of, you know, Sterling Heights to me was the other side of the world. It is. And to me, like growing up here, the suburbs were like a completely different place, even though they're not that far geographically. But um, it's, it, the goal is to get people to learn more about the city around them and hopefully encourage them to um, want to invest in the city. So. I mean, that's not the only goal, but like that, I mean, when I say invest, I don't necessarily mean like buy a house and whatever. It doesn't have to be a capital investment, but just feel more a part of the city as they see themselves, you know, living and working here. So community, right? A sense of community, which we have lost pretty much, I would say everywhere, right? This that sense of belonging. I think the, the, one of the things about Detroit is that there are many communities, but they are isolated. Um, so how do we get people to understand that, like, if all these communities work together, their strength in numbers, think of what we can accomplish. So um, when I profile a small business, um, 
you know, it's not just for the benefit of the neighbors that live around that business. It's for people who live outside of that neighborhood to go support that small business. Pretty soon, like, if they get enough, you know, capital and resources because people all over the place are going to flock here, then they'll, two, three years down the line, maybe open up a second location in a different neighborhood. One of the stories I'm most proud of is a young woman who, uh, it was the very first story we did on the neighborhoods. And there's a young woman who bought a house, um, but she was um, leaving a violent situation with her boyfriend. She described, you know, like uh, the violent situation she was in and bought this house and restored it on her own. Her boyfriend was gonna do it for her, but she had to watch all these YouTube videos and learn how to do it herself. And after that story ran, um, she started getting invited to um, women's conferences and, and, and things like that and started talking about her experiences and inspiring other people um, with her story. So the fact that we were able to bring that to light, um, you know, that's showing what Detroit is made of. You know, and, and it's, and we, we talked about this at the beginning, right? You work, you know, the mayor is off, Mayor Dugan, right? I say his name right? Duggan, all right? Dug I like Dugan better. Uh, mayor Duggan um, here in Detroit. We live in interesting political times. Let's just put it this way. I, I grew up in Detroit. It's probably pretty easy to figure out which way I lean politically. Um, but I find it interesting that a, a, a government official, right, a mayor, and mayors have a lot of power. Mayors and governors really do. Wants somebody to tell stories. And the thing with stories, especially yours, you don't put fluff in there. It's just facts, right? This is You, you tell the, the good, the bad, the ugly, It's because that's what's important, right? It's facts. You got to be honest. Like, I came from a journalist background, and, um, you know, we didn't cover stuff up back then. Um, so why would I start doing it now? You know, there's a lot of parts of Detroit that aren't pretty. You know, there's a lot of abandoned houses still. There's a lot of uh, um, buildings that need to be taken on, so, and so, so on and so forth. We can talk about that all day, but... Um, there's still people living among these places. Yeah. <laughs> so you, life still goes on. Yeah, right? life still goes on for a lot of people. Things like that that we have to look at and and, and ask ourselves. Okay, how do we be proactive? Um, if there is one person living on a block, what do we do to be proactive about um, giving that person what they need? Does it mean like you know showing? someone that wants to build a house like oh you've got some empty lots over here does it mean um lighting a fire under whatever power may be to bring whatever is needed into this neighborhood that's you know what i'm hoping to do too many places in detroit are being ignored so um here's an opportunity to bring more attention to those places so uh, i was talking with my niece this morning uh, i'm in, in detroit i got a family member who, who's uh six my wife and i flew up here uh, last second, and I'm, I'm again, talking with my family, my sister, and all my cousins still live here. So we were talking. I was showing her some of Aaron's writings, and by the way, she loves the writing. And uh, I asked her, I said, how would you describe Aaron using one word, right? I like to make him. She just graduated U of M. She's doing fine, but she's really smart, but I like to make them think, right? I said, can you give me one word to describe Aaron, especially when it comes to Detroit? This was her choice, okay? So this is some feedback. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> she said exasperated. And I went, what do you mean by that? She goes, not with Detroit, with all the bullshit that's tied from everybody who doesn't live in Detroit. Yeah. Is that a fair comment? That is a very fair comment because so many people only judge Detroit from afar, you know, outside looking in. Uh, fly, I mean, flying, you know, flying into downtown um, and going a few blocks in any direction, but not, like I said, Detroit is so 
fucking huge. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's big. And like even the neighborhood I grew up in is kind of an enclave of it in itself sometimes. But it doesn't mean I'm gonna judge the people on the other side of the street or whatever. Um, we're all. I mean, we leave Detroit. It doesn't matter if you grew up in the in the best neighborhood or the worst. You know, you're still gonna have to tell people you're from Detroit, and they're automatically gonna have that oh stereotype. My God, the second like I lived in England, right? We talked about this, and I like I tell people, "Where'd you grow up, Detroit?" Oh man, were you in a gang? I'm like, I'm a five foot seven. Jewish kid, do I look? <laughs> like, was like, come on, man! I played soccer. I played, you know, I played hockey. Soccer, I played basketball. soccer. I mean, exactly. Yeah, a lot of, and that's the thing. A lot of people don't know what full lives people had here growing up in yeah. Detroit. I played soccer. Um, I was into the arts. I was, you know, and but honestly, a lot of people are. You know, I'm not an anomaly. Like there had to be a team <laughs> of people playing soccer. Um, so. <laughs> it was one guy. Aaron just ran around a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, so so a good example. We were talking about the Fab Five, right? Uh, Chris Weber from the Fab Five, right? Chris went to a really nice private school, everybody. <laughs> we used to play him, right? I mean, come on. There's some, uh, I think Romney went to uh, Cranbrook. I mean, Cranbrook, literally, if you saw Cranbrook, everybody, you, you would think you're in New England at, like, you know, past Harvard, right? I mean, it's one of the most beautiful schools. We used to play them growing up. My school didn't look like that, but Crabrook sure looked nice. And I'm pretty sure Romney, you know, went there as a kid growing up. I mean, there's parts of this city, like you said, that are so unique and different. Here's the thing, and here's another misconception, because I read about this crap all the time. You know, that there's no no chain restaurants, no chain grocery stores or anything like that within the city limits of Detroit. There's literally a Starbucks two blocks from here. Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm so tired of the crap. Well, you know what? There's a, the Spartan stores. Yeah. You know, that is a chain. It's a Grand Rapids-based chain. Um, but, you know, when all that stuff was going around about no chain grocery stores in, in Detroit, and it's just like, but the Spartan family has has <laughs> a whole bunch of places here. Like, come on. Um, I mean, sensationalism in stories, right? That's yeah. what works. I mean, it, it is very bothersome that... Like I said, a lot of the narrative about Detroit has appeared in a lot of national publications and a lot of national international. TV. I lived in England. They were running specials at yeah. BBC about Detroit. And like I said, it's it's very frustrating when those stories are being told by people who kind of drop in and fly out. Um, with that, and it doesn't give the full picture, you know. Um, there, I mean, I think there's also a racial element to it. You know, you have a majority black city, and people like to see people of color in peril. You Can know? we talk about that just yeah. for a second? Because yeah. uh, you mentioned the white flight, right? Every mm-hmm. every city talks about white flight. Detroit, yeah. I think we set a standard. Can you can you talk a little bit about that history for folks who don't know about it? Um, long story short, <laughs> Detroit at one point had two million people within its bounds. Um, a lot of cramped things like that. Two things happened. Suburban development happened and then uh, freeways uh, opened up pathways into the suburbs. So now, and of course, being the Motor City, everybody here has a car. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so people got in their cars that they most likely built in the factory that they worked in, jumped on the freeway, and bought themselves um, plots of, not, yeah, plots of land or breathable sub- subdivisions, right? Where everything wasn't so cramped, you can see outside your window and all of that. Generally, white residents had the more um, upward mobility to do that, so they were the first to leave. Um, then you still have this very large southern migration coming from Alabama, where my uh, great-grandparents came from. 
Mississippi, South Carolina, so on and so forth, coming into Detroit. Uh, to and escape. Flint, right? Yep, and Flint. Flint, Kalamazoo, um, a lot of these cities that have majority or close to majority black populations, people are coming up from the south to work in different factories. Flint was a GM town, Saginaw was a GM town, um, and of course Detroit being the hub of all of this. Um, you had all these factories in the city, then either some of the factories went out to the suburbs or they shut down completely because um, the American car industry was losing ground to the Japanese car industry. So what you're left with um, through all these changes economically, socially, so on and so forth, um, you are left with the majority black city. A little thing that might have aided on a little bit was the election of Coleman Young, mayor, um, gave a very controversial <laughs> speech. You and I know it. Yeah, well, he's mayor when I grew up. I grew yeah. up with Coleman Young. I just he was always mayor, basically yeah. when I was a kid. He like I don't you know I'm not I was old enough to remember him being mayor, but like didn't really experience the like firsthand. You know yeah. what I mean? But like um, no, he said uh, you know all the pimps and drug pushers you know hit hit Eight Mile Road and. Um, a lot, eight Mile Road, for those who don't know, is the boundary between Detroit and the suburbs to the north. Well, when he said that, a lot of people took offense to that and they said, well, why do you want all the, um, you know, why do you want all the bad people to leave Detroit and go to the suburbs? You know, that's an insult to, to, to me, a yeah. suburban white person, you know. So that sort of accelerated more white people to, to kind of crowd into these suburbs and kind of put this wall up against Detroit. As someone who grew up here, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, someone was left high school when Aaron was born. Yeah, that's exactly what yeah. you, you came when you, when when I was growing up. So this is 70s, early 80s. You came. You, you went to Greektown downtown. Uh, you would come downtown to watch hockey. You'd, you'd come downtown and you get the hell out of downtown. Yeah. Right? And, and that's a mentality that still exists today. Oh, really? Uh, that's sad. Yeah. Um, opening day uh, when the Tiger season starts is notorious because um, there are a lot of suburban baseball fans, which is fine. For the record, you know, Detroit never turns down visitors, whether whether they come in from yeah. England or if they're coming from uh, New Boston. <laughs> oh, oh. Laura, Ma, Laura Curtis, you just got slammed, and he's right, because New Boston, folks, where my sister lives, is farmland. I mean, it's farms. But you know, like every other, uh, in any, in most other cities, you know, the cities and the cities and the suburbs have a very symbi symbiotic re relationship, right? Here, you know, there's such a mentality that Detroit does not take care of itself. When people come to opening day, for example, um, they leave all their trash behind. Like every year, there's like a photo gallery of like all the red solo cups like littering the streets of downtown. It always happens during opening day well why is that and you know if this if the city is clean like 364 days out the year and all of a sudden like the one day when you have a huge suburban influx it's dirty then what does that say you know yeah it's basic logic right yeah so so i'm gonna actually read you one of your quotes because this makes me laugh and i love this and i'll let you expand on it okay so, because your writing, we're going to talk about your writing a little bit, uh, some of the books you've written, some of the work that you've done leading up to the storytelling job. So, so this is a, an, an, a piece that you wrote, I think back in 2013, if I remember right. So it says, I live in Detroit. It's hot as hell right now, and we're having biblical rainstorms. Grass is growing like crazy. But, you know, I see people cutting the grass on lots that aren't theirs. Every day when I pass through my neighborhood on my way to work, I see old ladies tending to their annuals, kids, black and white, playing football in the street. 
even though they can be annoying because they block the streets sometimes. That was me as a kid. I see it's my favorite line. I see a bunch of regular ass people doing regular ass shit because Detroit is a regular ass city with regular ass problems, just like everyone else's. Yeah, that's 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 what Detroit is, and it still is. You know, that's how it was for me growing up. Um, that's how it was now, today, 2018, 2013, whatever. You know, it's it's a city with problems. Every city has problems. Maybe every city doesn't have the magnitude of problems that Detroit has, but life still has to go on. You know, life has to go on for everybody that's here some way, somehow. And finding, if kids are finding small joy in playing football on the street, I hope they don't get hit, but... You know, that's what makes that any different than, you know, put those same kids playing football out in the suburbs, put them out in the country, you know? It's an American pastime. Detroit is, you know, and Detroit is in America. So you can put us anywhere and we'll have small talk about anything, you know, going on. We got TV here, we watch sports. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's that whole mentality of treating yeah, Detroit yeah. like a, you know, during the bankruptcy and all that type of stuff. You know, we were getting a lot of like third world country uh, comparisons. And my history teacher in, in high school used to say, um, if you got a color TV in your house, you're not living in a third world country. As, as someone who has traveled the globe, yeah. right, in his work and has been to multiple third world countries, trust me, Detroit is not anywhere close, either is Chicago, either is, I mean, Chicago's another example, right? I'd go to Chicago and some folks would be like, oh my God, you're going to be safe. Are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. Chicago's yeah. one of the greatest cities in the world. Man. Yeah. Give me a break. Great American city. Yeah. And look, it's a stupidity. And look at how they've reclaimed a lot of their narrative. Like there's that new, I believe it's on Netflix. Yeah. The Shy coming on. You've got Chicago natives. I think about Eve Ewing, the big Twitter yeah. personality. Um how Chicago natives have sort of reclaimed that narrative. Detroit is, we got to do the same thing too. To some degree, I think, I mean, there's a long way to go, but isn't this like one of the uh, most recommended cities to come to? There was an award, I thought, last year. It is. I think Lonely Planet or one of the, yeah, one of those, a few of those travel places have ranked Detroit pretty high and now we're number two to visit, but I hope that they're visiting to see everything else beyond like, the Packer plan and, and, yeah. and things like that because for a while we were always the most visited city but people wanted to see like the room and porn and yeah. things like that so I'm hoping that like you know okay fine go see it I'm not going to judge you anymore I still am but you know <laughs> but <laughs> the, the ruined porn alright so let's let's define that because I know what you're talking about right? so for yeah. example again I am older than Aaron so I'm, I'm my, my Uncle David I'm here because my Uncle David um um, at heart failure, I'm here and for him and my aunt Mamie. And Aaron and I talked about this, right? I'm, I'm probably a pretty typical person growing up in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, mom's side of the family, Jewish. Um, dad's side of the family, French-Canadian. Um, mom's side of the family, my my cousins are black, Korean, American Indian, Jewish. They check literally every box you can, right? I mean, just, just every box they run through. And so g- growing up, that was just normal. That was that's how you grew up, right? I mean, it's just everything. I mean, that's and that's that's one thing I love about Detroit for that. But you had another quote that that ties back to this, and I, I think I might get this as a bumper sticker or a T-shirt. It'd be a big ass T-shirt. I think I could pull this off. <laughs> I love how you write. All right, Aaron. Again, I think you wrote this maybe two years ago. I'm just gonna say that for as much shit as you talk about Detroit, where you live is probably just as fucked up somehow. Yeah. By the way, yes, because I've lived a lot of places. Are you black? Good luck in Florida. Just funny because I live in Florida. <laughs> Pretty much all of America at this point. Um, yeah. 
Are you gay? You must have a peachy time getting your state to legally recognize your marriage. Are you a woman? Don't get knocked up in the wrong state at the wrong time. Are you a recent college graduate? I'd even afford to live anywhere. <laughs> I flipping love that, man. So, so if you don't mind, let's, let's do a, a, a kind of a city by city. And it's not a comparison, but a great example of that, right? Cost of living. San Francisco, Silicon Valley. I'm in the tech space, right? And we're gonna this this podcast actually does talk about tech, and we're gonna get to media, new media, and what that means in your career. But you look at Silicon Valley, you look at San Francisco, the problems, the the wealth disparity there, right? The homeless situations that exist there, and right across the river in Oakland, you know, in New York, right? My niece lives in Harlem right now, right? Um, and people are like you live in Harlem, I'm like, have you been to Harlem? Harlem's freaking great. <laughs> Harlem's literally. It's the biggest melting pot I've ever seen, you know? But those those aren't unique to Detroit. Everything I just said, that exists flipping everywhere, yeah. other than maybe cost of living. But I bet if I go to Oakland County, yeah. I bet home prices are still freaking crazy. It's still, uh, cost of living in Oakland County is definitely very high. Um, cost of living in certain neighborhoods is relative to Detroit. Um, you know, living in Indian Village where all the auto barons used to live back in the day in these huge like six seven bedroom mansions yeah it's probably going to cost a little bit more to live in any village than it is uh right next door in east village you know but you're right i mean there are every city every place has problems and they're not unique to what we've got going on here where i think stuff gets lost in translation is the mindset that everything is happening downtown right yeah. and I always tell people, like, you know, if you're looking for, like, an $800, $900 a month, and my New York friends always, like, are aghast when I say that rent is still that cheap. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you're looking to spend less than a grand a month, um, you know, you may be able to find something downtown, but don't discount the rest of the city, too, you know. Because you can get anywhere in Detroit actually yeah. pretty damn quick. Yeah. You can't. I mean, that's, I mean, for all the hate that the freeways get for destroying a lot of things, um, which they did, not denying, but you're never too far away from one, Yeah, you know? I got here in 16 minutes Look from at, the southwest side. So I visit Southern California a lot, and oh, man, like, move. the getting around, like, from point A to point B, um, and people are just like, I'm fine with this, and then I hear people say, like, well, I don't want to live too far out down t outside downtown, it's just like, well... The west side is like 20 minutes away, yeah. you know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's literally yeah. nothing. So you actually, I, I like that, I want to circle back on this, this theme of homes and housing because you, you wrote a great book. Give me the title. How to Live in Detroit Without Being a Jackass. Again, one of my favorite, <laughs> I'm, Aaron's quickly becoming one of my favorite writers. Um, yeah, so how not to be a jackass in Detroit, you know, how to live in Detroit without doing it. But it was based on, on, on your own experience, right? Because you yeah. bought a home and realized you were being a jackass. Yeah. What do, what do you mean by that? Um, a lot I'm calling of, you on all your <laughs> shit. <laughs> one, the one thing a lot of people try to do in Detroit is immediately change the situation, or well, the neighborhood around them when yeah. they move here. Um, I didn't realize I was doing it, uh, even though I grew up in Detroit, and I grew up a few streets away from the house that I used to live in. Um, and, you know, we were trying to, like, force this neighborhood association on a lot of people, and... Um, trying to ask for a lot of things, you know. Um, certain certain neighborhoods in Detroit have historic designation, and that means you can't like fix up the outside of your house um, any kind of way. Our neighborhood did not, 
but we were trying to mimic that idea and <laughs> we were doing all these things that uh, were not going over with the neighbors and we had only just lived there for a very short amount of time. We, had, we hadn't um, paid our dues. We hadn't earned our stripes yet. You, you got to respect the history. Yeah. I don't yeah. care where you live. I realized my mistake and I was like, but people are still doing it, you know, and they're doing it in a, in a way that um, is, in my opinion, a lot more disrespectful than I am because at least I grew up in Detroit and I can, you know, walk the walk and talk the talk a little bit. But you have people who are literally like coming from like an Oakland County or Macomb County or in LA or New York or whatever and saying, I'm going to bring my Oakland County, I'm going to bring my Macomb County, I'm going to bring everything I had back home or back where I'm from into this neighborhood and it's my way or the highway, you know. Um, it's caused a lot of friction uh, among people. You still have people who have that fear of things being taken away from them, um, changing their, their way of life, changing the way they, they've known how to do things just because a new person comes in and says, hey, I'm queer now, I'm planting this flag, um, and it's, you know, it is what it is. Is it the gentrification? Yeah. Is that, yeah. So it's that concept of, because what, what, I don't know, listeners understand, one of the things that's happened, I guess Midtown more than anything, is this tech influx, right? Yeah. That yeah. the city's seen, I think Google, Microsoft, a couple of different companies Google, have come here now. Google's about to move in in the arena space. Um, it's it's hard to tell because there's so much going on. Like I can't remember yeah, what actually is. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard. I shouldn't say hard to tell. It's hard to keep up because yeah. um, everybody's doing something now. Tech Town is right down the street. Um, there is a lot of. I think Twitter has an office here in the Madison building. They've had, well, they've had it for a little while. Like there's a lot of tech presence here. Um, n definitely not as much as Silicon Valley, but you know, a lot of the, a lot of the Midwest, you know. Yeah, nobody has it like Silicon Valley. And by the way, it's not a bad thing, yeah. right? Silicon Valley's, got, yeah man, I don't know if you saw the piece that just came out maybe last week or the week before about some of the parties. And as someone who does a lot with tech companies as a business, mm -hmm. we don't need to replicate Silicon Valley everywhere. Yeah. There is no need. We're fine. I agree. I mean, the the issue of gentrification is a very sticky one in Detroit because as you look around, you can look across the street here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of empty buildings. Um, there's a lot of empty space. Gentrification as as we discuss it in, in greater terms is um, a new population coming in to push an old population out. Um, but as you look around, there are, I'm not saying everywhere, but I'm looking at this building right here that's literally vacant. Um, if there's nobody there to be pushed out, can is it gentrification if you are filling an empty space? That's a fair question. Yeah. And, and, and not ripping buildings down, yeah. right? But but trying to keep that footprint that was there and how do you how do you retrofit how do you reuse i guess a better way to put it now the pushback with that comes is you know if that building is empty but this building right here is occupied if this building over here suddenly becomes you know two million dollar condos what does that mean for the people yeah. over here and this is where we constantly have this push and pull and you know what is the what is the the solution and the answer to all of this and this is something detroit is trying to figure out and you actually wrote about this because you wrote it in another piece that said i don't know yeah thank you for being honest by the way but you did you didn't say the solution is this yeah. you did touch on one which is education mm -hmm. which is but that's true everywhere right is is improved i mean you can read about baltimore today and kids in the inner city that you know the schools have no heat right 
That wasn't Detroit, by the way, folks. That's, you know, it's in Baltimore. Those problems are literally everywhere. I mean, it's just there is not an easy solution. I think one nice way um, or one thing you can do is get the message out, which is what you're doing. So let's let's pivot just a minute, if you're okay, yeah. and let's let's talk about new media because th- this is why I, this is how I found you, and this is why I like you so much. Is I, I deal with with technology and how it changes industries, right? That's my job. That's what 11FS does. We do it mainly in the banking space, but still, that's what we focus on. If there was ever a, a industry that got flipped on its head because of tech, tech and social and everything else, mm-hmm. it's what you chose to go into. It's yeah. journalism and media, <laughs> right? And you've done it your whole career. Yeah. I So I, when I finished college... Um, that was right when the tide began to turn. Like I wanted to um, begin and end my career in newspapers, not knowing that right around the corner was this big digital upheaval. And yeah, remember, like I worked at our I worked at our school paper, and our school paper uh, came out five days a week. Um, and it was an insult if you had a piece of news um, that went on our website because the mindset was nobody reads the website everybody reads the paper then you know two years three years after graduation now the now it's a pivot to everybody's online now everybody we gotta have we gotta have an app we gotta have this we gotta have that you know it's (laughs) it's um it's it's crazy um so you know as as the media has evolved i've had to evolve a little bit um, and it was a very, for, for me, it was very uncomfortable at some at times because, like I said, I had that mentality of newspapers, newspapers, newspapers. But I'm looking around; newspapers are shrinking, not just in page count, but in staff count. Um, jobs are getting harder to come by. Losing editors, one yeah. of the biggest mistakes you could make, right? Yeah. And then we wonder about the quality of stories that we're seeing when the role of an editor is so important, mm-hmm. right? It is, and I've I've been blessed to work with some great editors, but then like I've always dreamed of working with a big team of them, you know, not just one or two. <laughs> but one of the the byproducts of all of this is the fact that in Detroit, you know, there's a large amount of journalists competing for a very small amount of jobs, and there's still just the free press. When I grew up, it was the news and the free press, and then they combined or something like that. Still, yeah, they combined their Sunday editions, and that's still, you know, I think that, yeah, I think the JOA um, expires in a couple of years, so, and, they, and they renew it, you know, but it's always up for renewal. Um, but when you have a large amount of journalists competing for a small amount of jobs, you have to stand out some way. Yeah. So for me, that meant a lot of you know, placing my byline in a lot of national publications. That means trying things outside of my normal coverage area, trying to become, you know, something, uh, what do you call it in sports when it's like an all-around... All yeah, around, I know what you're saying. Yeah, a yeah. utility player. You do everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah jack of all trades, pretty much. So, um, as I was doing that, I noticed that I was writing about Detroit a lot because... You know, there aren't, there's a lot of journalists from Metro Detroit, but there's not that many. I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, I guess relatively speaking, there's few, there's few journalists from the city of Detroit that went through his public school system that actually grew up in the city writing about the city. A it's, lot. Of, you write what you know, right? Yeah. The best writers 
write about life experience and what they know. Yeah, and I'm writing one-on-one about my experiences growing up in Detroit that like my colleagues who grew up in Sterling Heights or whatever can't necessarily identify with because they were the ones that came down to Tiger Stadium, you know, and, and, and knew about Tiger Stadium, but um, not necessarily the neighborhood around Tiger Stadium. So that's a, yeah, I like that. That's a good point. Do I, here, this one's actually just for a friend of my name, April Rudin, who's real successful in the tech space and wealth management. April, in his book, Aaron actually has a whole chapter dedicated to Fago. <laughs> <laughs> Every listener outside of Detroit's going, "What the hell are they talking about?" Um, but you did you did a whole chapter on Fago. What's the best flavor? It's a pop. We call it pop in Detroit. Uh, soda. I don't know what to call it. What's the best flavor, Aaron? You're the expert. Exactly. Yeah. Nothing's close to Fago Red Pop. It's like the perfect, like it doesn't, I mean, it's supposed to be a strawberry soda. It doesn't taste like strawberries, (laughs) but it just tastes like a red pop, you know? It's it's not too sweet, not too flat. And, you know, like Fanta has a strawberry soda or Sunkiss, one of those. And it's super sweet. Like it it tries to like imitate a strawberry too much and they just kind of, it just tastes like bubble gum. But... Um, no, I mean, there's a whole pop factory here in Detroit, and people come from outside Detroit and don't realize we have all these little things that make, that have been part of our lives growing up, so. Um, I know my opinion. I'm going to ask you this, because we joke around about a Starbucks being two blocks from here. Yeah. Is that something you actually want to see happen as these chains come in, or... or one of the things I always did kind of like about Detroit was the uniqueness of the... I, I like. I just don't like chains, period. Yeah. I, you know, I don't like flying to Dubai and seeing a Kentucky Fried Chicken. That yeah. pisses me off. Yeah. You know? I was in Colombia, and there was, like, a Chili's in Bogota, Colombia. And I'm like, who the hell <laughs> thought they should open up a Chili's in frickin' Bogota? I am on... I, here's why I'm, I'm pro-chain. I don't want to see Detroit become a city of chain restaurants. But at the same time, I look at some of the restaurants that are opening. We're right here by Grey Ghost, where, like... A steak is like $60 or something like that, which is fine. You know, if you want to pay that much for a steak and you want that quality or cut or whatever makes it 60 bucks, I'm not going to judge you for it. But I think about the number of schools here and what happens at the end of every school year is a graduation. And what do people do for graduation? They go out to eat. You go out here after graduation from graduating from Mumford or something like that, and you go out here to Great Ghost and everybody's ordering dollar, everybody's ordering sixty dollars steak. That's ridiculous. That's why you need like an Applebee's or a Chili's or yeah, and that's <laughs> or an, that's And it doesn't point. have to be like Times Square in New York, where like the main attraction is the Olive Garden or something like that. But um, no, I think if you have a healthy mix. Of, of chains and independence and family owns and small businesses that can that would it would make Detroit no different than any other city that has all these cookie gutter places but like I said look at that empty building over there yeah. do we want an empty building or are we gonna are we gonna quibble because it's turning into a, an Applebee's you know yeah no uh, that, yeah okay I'll, I'll concede your point. You win with that one. I, probably because I live in the suburbs of a city, and literally, if I want good food, I have to drive into the city. Yeah, right. I mean, okay. a real meal. There is. I mean, I mean that's the thing about Detroit. It's so big. You know, an Applebee's going on right there is not going to stop a small restaurateur from look next door. You know. So I really, I don't, I don't want you to judge me now, okay? Yeah. But my wife and I, you know, my wife's from South Georgia. Right, yeah. and she'll yell at me because I said South Georgia. She's from Columbus, Georgia. 
we came up to Detroit and we were driving to go to the hospital and we passed a ram's horn and I was like oh god we're eating there and she goes that looks nasty I'm like no 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 you just don't get no ram's horn <laughs> you don't get the all in all diner the ram's horn is where you open up a menu and it keeps going for like yeah. 90 freaking pages right I don't know how they cook all that stuff in, in other places I miss that like no no end at all I'm actually laughing because a guy walked up behind you with a Mumford t-shirt on is Mumford still a school here? it is it was a DPS school, then it became an EAA school, now it's back to being a DPS school. So for some listeners, you're going to think uh, Beverly Hills Cop and Alex Foley. Oh, I just thought of that. Alex Axel Foley. Axel Foley. <laughs> yeah, Alex Foley. Axel Foley, uh, the character there. The reason it means a lot to me is my mom went to Mumford. Okay. So there you go, right? It's, I know there was the movie and it's all that crap, but... There's a lot. I mean, Jerry Buckheimer, director, or it was either a director or producer. Really? Yeah, he went to Mumford. That's, that's why... That's why in Beverly Hills Cop, he, Eddie is wearing the Mumford High School because Jerry Bruckheimer went there. I had no clue yeah. that he was from here. Yeah. And he's a big supporter of like the Alumni Association and all of that. Yeah. That's outstanding. Yeah. I, I like that. How's, how is the education system? Is it still struggling or is it, is it making turns? Struggling a little bit, but we're hoping there's a new superintendent, Dr. Nikolai Vitti, that started last year. Also, last year, um, returned to an elected school board. Um, Big um, deal. Yeah. So you've got these two things in tandem, but it's it's far too early to say because, you know, Dr. Vitti just started this summer, you know? Yeah, nothing turns that quick. Yeah. I mean, the school system has suffered for a long time because of depopulation, you know? Um, When you don't have full schools, you know, you don't get the tax credits and, 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 and things like that that are offered to other school districts because um, your attendance count is low. Um, so a lot of schools had to close. Fortunately for me, um, see, two of the three, well, actually, yeah, all three, all three, like, elementary, junior, and middle school, are uh, in high school, are still open. But for a lot of my friends, you know, like, I have friends that went to Redford High School, um, on the northwest side, they bulldozed Redford to put in a chain grocery store. Oh, here we go. Yeah, right back to that little conversation. Yeah, you went to high school where my cousin went. You went to Renaissance. Yep. Right? Yeah, yep. my cousin Linda went to there. Good school. Yeah, go figure. All right, I'm going to ask you the hardest question probably. I'm not going to ask you if you're leaving Detroit at any time in the future because it's yeah. not fair. You're still young, man. Yeah, who knows? That's life. But this is going to be the hard question. Who do you think is a great storyteller? Who do you look up to? Because I, lo- I, I think storytelling is a lost art. That's why we do this podcast, and that's why we don't give you questions before we just talk, right? But the idea of actually sitting down and having a conversation, and I'm looking at my mobile phone and I'm laughing, right? This, this to me is my career, mm-hmm. technology, and it's also just a shit fest. It is screwed up people being able to actually sit across the table and talk. So who do you think is actually a really good storyteller and why? I'm going to give you, can I give you two? You can give me five. You got <laughs> ten minutes. You go crazy. Okay. I'm going to say Aretha Franklin. Oh, that's good answer. And Smokey Robinson. Wow. You, now, now that, I thought you were going to be one music person, yeah. but that's pretty good, too. So here's why. Um, there is an interview on YouTube between Aretha and Smokey, and they are um, on Soul Train in like 1975 or something like that and they are just sitting at this piano talking about the neighborhood they grew up in and telling like just describing life in their neighborhood over on the north end and if you look at them separately um aretha i'm I'm kind of a youtube nerd i look at 
old interviews of old Detroit artists and things like that. And when Aretha starts talking, you know, we all know she's a fantastic singer, all of that. But you get her talking about growing up and, and, and what she saw and life in her church and things like that. She has such vivid detail about her life. Um, you know, and she gets candid sometimes. Um, it's fascinating. Same with Smokey Robinson. You know, you, out of all the Motown artists, um, he tends to open up the most, you know. Diana Ross, I've never, well, I won't say I've never heard her talk about it, but it's rare to see her talk about Detroit now as you did, you know, 40, yeah. 50 years ago um, when she actually lived here. Smokey does not live here, but, you know, he, he, he's, he's got that detail. He's got that memory. Um, it is fascinating to hear older Detroit artists, um, especially those who write. You know, Aretha's a songwriter. Smokey's a songwriter. Um, when they when they start talking about their experiences and things like that, that's what I relate to most. That's interesting that you pick two singers. Yeah, you know, but it is the blending. We already know you don't like math. <laughs> Me either. But the blending of the arts there, right? So both the the telling a story, but the musical side to it tied too. I was trying to, I always plug Angela, but um, Angela Fornoy, she's an author, novelist, um, who wrote The Turner House. Um, the Turner House came out two or three years ago now, and it's a story about a Detroit family living on the east side. Angela, in real life, grew up in California, but her father's family is from the east side, and it's a great book about Detroit. It's out of all the, there's a lot of nonfiction about Detroit, which is great, you know, um, but a novel that so closely parallels the stories of um, especially African-American families who grew up, who, who, who have roots here in the city and, and whatnot, that's a great story. You know, so Street's up there in my top ten. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, we're going to have a bunch of links. I'm going to find that interview, by yeah. the way, on YouTube. I'm a YouTube fanatic. I'm insomnia, so I sit there and watch as much weird stuff as I can find and good stuff and old retro stuff on YouTube as I can find. So we're going to put a link on that when we do the show notes for this. But I'm going to put a lot of your writing just because I, I like, so I'm going to give you a compliment. I very much like your writing because it, I'm sure you edit down. I, I, all writers do. But I can see the stream of consciousness come out, and I can almost hear the conversation in your head going, should I edit that? Ah, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's staying there because it's too true. And that, that level of honesty, um, in a day where, from a media standpoint and journalism standpoint, is under a lot of challenges, uh, a nice way of putting it, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think if any time, now is the time where you really need I mean, Oprah just gave a nice speech, right, everybody's spazzing out about, which actually was a really good speech, but she talks about that, right? It's a profession that's under attack, which is just plain out stupid. And yet you work for the mayor. I, that's what I love about it. <laughs> a profession under attack, but here in Detroit, by the way, the only city that I know of, Hires a, has a storyteller and a staff that is. Who do you look for to hire for that team? How do you, how do you find your team? Um, my first my first hire was a videographer. Um, um, he had he had approached uh, our uh, media services director about a, a, a gig, and it just so happened that uh, I was coming on board, and they gave me a budget for two videographers, a photographer, and two writers. 
And so Jeremy was my first hire, and he's done like documentaries, and he's done work with uh, record companies and shooting mu music videos and stuff like that. So he brought a style that um, that was very much needed for this whole thing to happen. My second hire, Kinsey. Um, Kinsey also went to Michigan State, grew up in Detroit, and was interning at uh, NPR and CBC Radio and a couple of places. But she was very vocal about Detroit, right? And I was like, okay, I need a vocal person that's familiar with the city. Third hire, Dorothy, uh, came from a magazine. Uh, she was managing uh, managing editor at Our Detroit and wanted a change in career um, and just wanted to try something new. Um, but she, on the side, manages a, a pop up, um, a pop up. So a pop up story, Tana. Yeah. Uh, oh no 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 pop up restaurant. Pop up restaurant. Yeah. She. Oh, that's uh, crazy. Yeah. So she and her husband cook. And um, I was like, oh, it'd be nice if I had somebody that knew food and, and can, 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 you know, wax poetic about that. Um, Zachary, my other videographer, came to me through Jeremy because he and Jeremy were together. And Zachary also, like, he showed me a couple of his clips and all these things that he was doing. And I was just like, okay, I got to have you. And then Cyrus, um, our photographer, Cyrus came to my attention through our digital and social media, media manager. And... He had done some freelance work for the mayor's office, but he's in tune with a lot of different like events and stuff in the city um, uh, because there's this whole network I'm trying to tap into of, of young up-and-coming mover, movers and shakers. And, and Cyrus, Cyrus, Jeremy, and Zachary, they all like have inroads into that. Um, so they, they all, all five team members just touch different uh, parts of Detroit that I was looking for. Now, unfortunately, Dorothy um, took a new job last month. <laughs> um, but she did some. She did the hard part of finding talent, right? Is yeah. if they're talented, odds are you're gonna That's get the them first thing. That's the time. thing, and I'm so happy for it. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I was like, okay, who could fill Dorothy's shoes? And then I turned to Jamila, who starts literally in a few days. Um, Jamila, like Kinsey, uh, grew up in Detroit, went to Detroit schools comes from a journalism background, but is also very vocal about Detroit. So I know that she knows Detroit, and therefore she can go up to anybody in the city and walk, you know, walk the walk, talk the talk, speak the language. I think I've got a very tight, tight-knit group here. And we were, you know, it's not just us. We work with every department. We work with our our comms team, communications, social media, the rest of the media services. I'm in contact with all the different departments. So like our housing department, our buildings and safety department, our police and fire. And they're constantly feeding me stories about, you know, we ran into this resident or we, we did this or we did that. Um, and that's where all the ideas are coming from. You know, not just in stuff I see on a regular basis. Like um, Kinsey is very active on social media and she'll bring something to my attention and I'll be like, yes, let's do that. Because if we don't write about it, nobody else will. So, This show is crafted for you by the folks at 11FS. We're building banks for the future. Find out more at 11FS.com. If we hooked you with this episode, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Every star helps. Today's episode was edited by Michael Bailey and produced by Laura Watkins, Ollie Judge, and myself. I'm Sam Mall, and this has been Connection Interrupted. Thanks for listening.